This morning I'm going to be wrapping up this series of messages that we're doing that I'm calling Mission Control. Mission Control being, well, that, that place in Houston where whenever they launch rockets in space, they guide the mission from there. They give the support that's needed for that. But we've been talking about that, particularly about the mission of God's church. And we state our mission here, as so many churches do. We, we have words that we use to describe that. And we've talked about that over the past two weeks. So this is a short series, just three weeks. This one wraps it up. That we're talking about the mission of God's church and what it means for us to be people of God who have been given a mission. In this church, we have three action words that we use about that. We talk about loving, growing, and serving. So we've already talked about the first two, loving and growing. Today we talk about serving. What does it mean for us to have a mission of service? Now, if you've been with us over the past couple of weeks, you know that we've, we've been trying to narrowly define that because that's how mission works, right? If, if your definition is too broad, then everybody's all over the place and you're not really guided all in the same direction. And we've talked about that how that mission works that way, right? Uh, that it, it needs that narrow focus because as we've seen in the other examples, love, well, yeah, a mission of love, but we love God, we love other people, we love our communities, we love our neighborhood, and that, that doesn't really guide us in a focus, does it, right? So we talked about that with a mission particularly to love God. Not because we don't love God, each other or our neighborhoods or other people, but but because that's where we start. That's the thing that everything else hinges on, right? We begin there because all those other places that we know and express and experience love flow through love for God. That's how we work that. And we talked last week about growing because, again, we could talk about growing in so many ways. We grow in faith. We grow in in knowledge and experience of God. We grow in relationships, and we grow in so many different ways. But we talked last week about particularly growing meaningful relationships. That was our focus because we noted there that God does not give us this journey of faith to walk alone, but he puts other people there with us. So we hinge our growth on those meaningful relationships that God puts around us, that he's called us to be a part of a church, a family, a part where we walk with other people together. And we talked about those meaningful relationships. Those things are all on our website, so if you missed those last two weeks, you can backtrack and find those messages. They're available on our website. Today, though, serving. Here again, we could talk about so many things, right? Well, yeah, we we serve God, we serve each other, we, we serve in so many different ways, but we're talking today about serving local community as our mission. What does it mean for us to be people who serve local community? And what does that look like? How does that take shape in our lives around us? You know, we could think about that in so many different ways. So many different ways that local community can take shape. One of the things we noted last week, and here's, the, here's one thing that I'll just pull forward from last week. Last week when we talked about relationships, meaningful relationships, we noted from that story in the Old Testament, uh, the story of Naaman, how it turned out for him the most meaningful relationships were with people who were not like him, were different from him. Right? It was his servants and his slaves who ultimately brought 
before him what he needed to know and hear in order for him to find the healing that God would bring. So we noted that last week, that sometimes it's not where you expect it to be. I'm going to carry something of that forward in for here today about serving local community. Because when we think about local community, maybe we automatically get pictures in mind. Because last week, one of those things we noted last week is about how sometimes it feels like we all have that tendency to isolate ourselves on our own little island with just our tribe, just our people, just our our squad, right? And we shut everybody else out. But God brings meaningful relationships by bringing in others around that. Maybe we need to carry a little bit of that forward this week when we think about local community so that we keep that part in mind too. That tendency we have sometimes to say, but I want my local community to just be who I want it to be, right? And and I'm going to shut and leave out people who I don't want to be part of my local community. But what happens when you're confronted with those situations when the people who are in front of you, who are a part of your local community, are not what you expected, not what you were looking for, not what you wanted in some way. How do we serve local community? So I'm going to read a story today that comes from the New Testament, from the Gospels. This is from Mark chapter 6. And in particular, we're going to note what this story has to do with local community and how we serve local community. Mark chapter 6. I'm beginning at verse 30. Here's what it says. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, and they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them, and they ran on foot from all of the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already late. Send these people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we going to spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them, have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in the groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Local community. How that works and and how that comes together in a story like this. And how we see the people around us. The way that God brings people around us and and the way that we are called to serve people around us. So so trace through this story a little bit and see what happens here, right? Let's just follow through on some of this and find out how this goes, at least the way Mark tells this story, okay? So the way it goes in Mark's gospel is Jesus begins his ministry up in the northern end of Israel in all of the towns and villages around the Sea of Galilee. Jesus and his disciples travel from town to town to town, and he's teaching, and he's performing miracles, and he's healing, and he's becoming quite popular in that area. But he's the one, Jesus is the one, going around to them. Now we see something a little bit different here in chapter 6. Now Jesus does not go to where the people are. He's not going to their villages, but it looks like from what we see Mark telling us here, that he's looking to do the opposite. He's saying, you know what? Let's get away from this. We need a break. Let's just go by ourselves, okay? That's what he says to his disciples. But it doesn't work that way. So he he gets in a boat, and and on the Sea of Galilee, right, you can cross over to the other sides. It's not that big of a lake. But then he gets into a boat, and he starts going, and, and all of these people from these villages and towns, they recognize it. That's Jesus. That's the one. Let's follow along. So, so they run along the shore so that when Jesus gets around to the other side with his disciples, they're all there, all these people. This time, Jesus didn't go to them. They all came to him. And Mark gives us this detail. It's a remote place. They're out in the middle of nowhere, but they still come to him. And in that place... There's a local community that gathers there. Here's what Mark tells us then, that Jesus sees the people and he has compassion on them. Compassion. They're lost like sheep without a shepherd. So he begins to teach them, spends the day doing that. Now, now here's the part that I find interesting. Mark doesn't tell us anything about how that day goes. What did he teach them? What did he say? You know, because if you look in other Gospels, particularly Matthew, Matthew writes down what Jesus says, right? All the parables and stories and teachings, that's all there. Mark skips that. For whatever reason, that's not important to this particular story that Mark has. So what Jesus teaches them, what he says, skip, we're going to go over that. Because we need to get back to, well, what Mark is putting as the lesson here, the important part of this story. Jesus spends the day teaching them because he has compassion on them. Then the disciples chime in. Get these people out of here. They need to go eat, just send them, all right? Look at the disconnect that's happening in that story, right? I think Mark sets this up for us on purpose. That they go to this remote place where they can be by themselves, this other place that's out in the middle of nowhere. This crowd of people just gathers. It's there. Jesus is drawn to them, drawn to this crowd. He has compassion on them. And the very next thing that Mark tells us is the disciples want them out of there. Get them out of here. 
It's time for him to go. Send him away. That's what I think Mark is trying to set up for us in this story. There's a tension here, right? A tension between Jesus drawing this crowd of people in, this local community that had all gathered around him, and the disciples saying, mm, no, let, let's just be us, and it's time for them to go. That's what I want us to grasp and struggle with a little bit in this story. That tension that we see come through this. That's a part of this. So how does that work itself through? What does that mean for us as we consider what that looks like for local community in, well, a remote place? Let's consider that, all right? I don't know how many of you are familiar with uh, the movie The Wizard of Oz. I imagine everyone's heard of it. It's not like it's a new movie. I mean, it's, it came out in 1939. So this is a movie that's been around a long time. If you know the story at all of The Wizard of Oz, that Dorothy Gale, who lives on a farm in Kansas, and what she sees as being this boring farm that she wants something more, something other. You know, give me someplace more magical than this a farm in Kansas, and as the story goes in The Wizard of Oz, a tornado comes and it lifts her away, and then Dorothy is taken to this mythical land of Oz. And, and then the entire rest of the story from there is Dorothy's journey trying to get back again to Kansas, where she came from. And along the way, Dorothy meets some community, doesn't she? If you know how that story goes. Scarecrow and the Tin Man and the Cowardly Lion, and they all join Dorothy on this journey to go find the wizard because the wizard can get Dorothy back to Kansas again. And, and then in the end of the movie, Dorothy comes to realize, she gets back to Kansas, and she comes to realize that this community that she'd been searching for, right, the, this longing that she had for something other, something more, turned out to be right there in front of her. Because the way that goes in the movie is, the same actors who play the Scarecrow and the Tin Man and the Cowardly Lion are also the farmhands on the farm there in, in Kansas. So she recognizes that and makes that connection and says, that thing that I wanted and was looking for, it turned out to be right in front of me the whole time. And I didn't know it because I was so focused on something different, something other, something magical. And I missed it. That's a story that resonates in some way. I mean, it's stood the test of time to be around that long. But I think some of the things that, are, that connect, what connects with us there is this longing for a community in which we belong. That, that was something of the journey and the search, right? That Dorothy wants this community where she feels like she belongs and friends around in that local community to be a part of. Even in this faraway, remote place where it looked different and it felt different and the friends that she made there were so different, but still looking for that community, that local place to belong, even if it was far away. Now, movies being what they are, because so many movies work this way, right? It, it all has to come to some happy ending. So, of course... Dorothy does make it back to Kansas, and it turns out that now Kansas is this wonderful place, and she's perfectly content there. That's how movies go. Yes. 
I think you and I know a little bit better. Real life doesn't always go that way. We don't always get back to the perfect place that we imagine and have everything restored exactly the way that we would like it to be or imagine it to be. I've been here over three years now, uh, here at this church and in this place and back in West Michigan, and, and, and I've heard stories. You know, as, as I meet and get to know people, and particularly stories about Granville, right? I, I hear stories about Granville, and, and I hear stories about, well, about what Granville used to be. So when this church started back in the late 70s and 80s, and, and I hear those stories about how, yeah, I mean, there was housing that, and people were moving into Granville, and there were these plans coming together for this shopping mall, and that Granville was this place where people were coming in, and people were coming in, and they were looking for a church to be a part of, and that was sort of a booming time for Granville and for where this church in particular was placed among that. I guess I'll have to be a little bit blunt here in three years of observation. I don't see that Granville now. That's not the Granville that's here anymore. That used to be here. So I hear stories that that maybe be a little bit like, wouldn't it be wonderful to get back to Kansas kind of a thing? But that happens in movies, but not always in real life. So here we are, we're here, but we find ourselves in a community where it's not what it used to be. And maybe it's not what we want it to be. Or maybe you find yourself in a place where you are lamenting that it's not what it once was at one time. And how do we deal with that? Some of the sadness or loss that goes along with that. Some of the trying to figure out of, well, what is this community now? And who is here now? And what does Granville look like now? That it's different than maybe what it once was? Those are some of the things that we, we deal with in different ways. Either by trying to find and embrace what this new community coming in looks like, or trying to find ways to hang on to what used to be, but is no longer thriving and flourishing the way it did back then. So the disciples with Jesus, they go to this remote place where they're out in the middle of nowhere and it's not any of their usual surroundings and they find this gathering that comes around them in this place where they didn't expect it to be like that. And Jesus uses that opportunity for a lesson. Let's talk about local community, especially when you find yourself someplace that you're a little bit out of your element, it's not where you thought you would be, and the people who come around you are not who you thought they would be either. You see that dynamic going on in this story? I think there's something we can pick up from that, something that we can learn about local community. This local crowd of people that followed Jesus and the disciples around the lake to this remote place They're not who the disciples were looking for. They're not what the disciples expected. So look at how the story goes then. Let's consider this. Let's walk through this, right, with that setting. The disciples want those people out of there. Send them away. Look, they're hungry. There's not food here. Send them away. 
There, there's villages out there. They can just go find what they need. And what does Jesus do then, right? Jesus does not say, hey, I got this meal plan, right? I, I got this idea. Here's what we're going to do. Nope. Jesus turns the question back on them, right? Here's a the, here's the teachable moment for all of them. So what does Jesus do? He says, you do it. You give them something to eat. They're hungry. You want to send them away? No, 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 no. Don't send them away. You feed them. You figure it out. He turns the question back on them. And, and you see the reaction in the passage here. You want us to do what? Feed all of these people? We can't do that. We don't have the money. We don't have the resources. We don't have the manpower. There's over 5,000 of them, and, and there's 12 of us. You're asking us to do the impossible. This cannot be done. You're crazy. We can't do that. That's the response you get back, right? That's what they're saying. What does Jesus say next then? Right? I mean, he he doesn't let it go. But he says, well, what do you have? You don't think you have enough to feed all these people? Let's not worry about what you don't have. Let's start with what you do have. What do you have? Go and see. That's where Jesus takes it next. So, and so they scrums around and, and find what they can. And all right, we've got five loaves of bread and two fish. You think of loaves of bread, it's not like we do, right? Not a sliced thing in a bag. It's, it's more like a large dinner roll, right? Five of those and two fish, probably smoked and preserved so a sardine size kind of a thing. That's what they've got. It's a sack lunch. That'll do. Jesus says, that's fine. Let's have it. That'll work. But the disciples aren't done there yet, right? Jesus gives them a job now. He says, all right, let me have that lunch, and here's what you guys do. You, you arrange all the people, right? Just, just get them into groups and arrange them, and you do that. I don't think Jesus micromanaged that. He just kind of gave that job back to them. You guys just organize them, okay? And then Jesus takes the bread and he takes the fish and he gives thanks and he starts to break it up and divide it. And, and he does what only Jesus can do. Right? The disciples didn't have the ability to multiply the food like that, but God does. So Jesus does what only Jesus can do. And then he gives it back to the disciples, right? He gives it to them and he says, now it's your job to, to distribute this. Your job now is to bring this to all the people and, and you got all the groups there, so you get it out there. Get it to these people. So that's what they do. That's their job and, and they distribute all that. And, and then it's their job to clean up afterwards, gather the leftovers, right? Bring it all in and 12 baskets of leftovers, Twelve, remember, being that significant number in the Bible. Twelve is the number that signifies God's people. Twelve tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. Twelve disciples in the New Testament. Twelve is that number that always means God's gathered people. So the the symbol of the twelve baskets of leftovers, it's meant to tell us there's enough here for all of God's people. That's what the number twelve means. So God provides by doing what only God can do. But the disciples were a part of this, weren't they? They were a part of how this whole thing unfolded. Because it began with 
Jesus bringing that lesson to them when they thought, we can't do this. We are overwhelmed and under-resourced. And that's where the lesson comes, where Jesus says, all right then, you think you don't have it, what, what it takes. Let's start with what you do have. Go and see. And then give it to God. Let God do what only God can do. And then distribute from there. Take it from there to do what God gives back for us to do with it. That lesson of community and how that works. All right, so how, how does that apply to us in our situation and, and what we think or look at as local community? Right? I've, I mean, I've already set this up in ways that, that tell us something of maybe our local community is not what it used to be, not what we imagined it to be, maybe not even what we want it to be. We want it to be something it once was or something that we want it to become. But... In the lesson we see from the story here today, I'm going to identify four things, all right? The first thing is this. Identify that local community. Identify who that is. Or in other words, who is God putting in front of us right now? Not who do we want it to be or who do we wish it could be or who did it used to be or who do we want it to become, but let's just take that honest snapshot of, all right, but who's there right now? Who is there in our community in front of us right now that God has placed there? Neighbors who live next door to you or maybe in the apartments down the hall or in the building. The worker in the next cubicle around. The students sitting at the next desk. We've all got local community in some way around us. Who are those people that are there right now? that God has placed in front of us. Start with that, right? That's step one. Then step two, what do you have? What what has God given you to work with right now? Because sometimes when we, maybe when we go through that step of looking at who our local community is and who those people around us, we think, I can't, so they've got needs or they've got things that are required and I can't do anything about that. I don't have what it takes. I don't have the resources. I'm a bit overwhelmed. I don't know what I'm doing there. Right? I, I can't help. I don't have what I need to do that. But then God comes with the same question back to us that he had for the disciples. Well, what do you have? Go and see. So what has God given you to work with right now? What has God given us to work with right now? What do we have that we can do right now? So that's step two, right? You identify the local community. You figure out what has God given me right now, even if it feels like it's not enough. It's insignificant. It can't do the job. But what do you have? You trust that one over to God, and then step three, you let God do what only God can do, right? Let God do what only God can do. There's things that we cannot control and things we cannot do. As much as I would love for every single heart that is far away from God to turn in repentance and come back to God, I can't turn people's hearts. I can't do that. None of us can do that. We trust God to do what 
only God can do. You know, I'll, I'll state that even a little bit more actively. Be ready for God to do what only God can do. Be ready for it. I might even say anticipate, but I'll stop short of that. Right? Because, because here's why. I won't say anticipate God to do. Because so many times you, you see in Scripture these stories where God shows up and nobody anticipated it, right? God shows up in places where nobody expected to see it happen. That's the story in the Bible over and over and over again. That God shows up in places where nobody anticipated it. So I think as soon as we start anticipating, expecting where God will show up, that's the moment where God shows up somewhere else. Not the way we expected, not the way we anticipated. So I'm not quite sure that it's our job to anticipate how God will show up. Scripture just doesn't seem to give us that pattern. But it is our place to be ready for God to show up. Eyes open and looking and watching and asking that question, where is God at work? What do we see God doing in and among and around us and out in our community around us? Where do we see God showing up? And be ready to trust God to do what only God can do when he shows up that way. And then, the fourth step, the last thing here. Do what it is that God gives you to do. So we, we follow those four things. Those are what we pick up from this story. That All right, so we may find ourselves in a place where it's not the community we necessarily wanted to see around us, but let's identify who's there right now. But who is there right now? What has God given us to work with right now Be ready for God to do what only God can do. And then we do what God has given us to do, for us to do. I've intentionally stated this um, collectively, right? Collective pronouns. That that it's a group effort. I mean, it's not personal in the sense of it's you and you and you and you and you, but, but it's us because we do this together serving local community together. But that's not the excuse to say somebody else here do it. Right? I, I hope we see that in this passage, in this lesson today. That whenever we look at that and say, but I don't have that. I don't have what it takes. I, I'm not the person who can provide that. This is so overwhelming and I don't have the resources. That's the point of the story is, yeah, it is overwhelming. And yes, we don't have the resources, but God says, you know what, be a part of this anyway. Because whatever it is you do have, whatever ability or talent or resources you do have, that's enough. God can work with that. God can take that and do something with it. Whatever that is, however small it may seem, however much you may think this doesn't count for anything and this won't do any good, God says, no, that's great. I'll take it. You give that to me, I'll take it, and see what God can do with what we offer and give. And then be ready. Be ready for when we see those opportunities come then to work and do with our community around us what God gives us to do and to work with them. 
how God will work through that and use us, his people, to do that. It seems that in the, in the, in the Bible that God is always trying to expand that circle of grace. Right? That's the story you see. I mean, he, he creates Adam and Eve, and then it expands from there. And, and when things weren't going well, it's, you know, Noah. Let's go with Noah and expand from there. And then it becomes Abram. Abram and his descendants and Israel and expands from there. And then through Jesus, it's the Gentiles, the nations, everyone. And it expands from there that, that God is on this mission to where his circle of grace, the people counted in his circle of grace is always getting bigger and bigger. That's the mission he's on. And he's giving a local community and a people to say, all right, take what it is that God has given you, give it to God, let God work with it, and then see how God gives that back to widen that circle of grace. That community of God's people, the community of grace, that it gets larger and larger, wider and wider as God provides those opportunities. You and I have been included in that. God has chosen to partner with us. Right? I, he could have done this whole lunch thing by himself. He could have. But he said, nope, I'm, I'm going to make a choice here to show you the way that I am going to work with you in the circle with me so that together the circle gets bigger, gets bigger. The grace of God gets wider and wider. You and I are a part of that, and we work with God as he blesses us so that his love and grace goes even further. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word and and the way that you show us how it is that we live as part of your people. Lord, we pray that when there are times when, uh, when we have felt overwhelmed and under-resourced that you remind us again that whatever it is that you've given to us, it's enough if we turn that to you and let you do what only you can do. And God, we pray then that you would mold our hearts so that we're ready. That we're ready and trusting you to do what you can do so that we can then follow where it is you go and do your work. So Lord, we pray that we may have eyes to see the way you see. Give us a heart that reaches other people the way that your heart reaches other people so that we may then see the ways you widen that circle of grace in our community around us. Give us your heart, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus.